Well, it's December, a busy time of the year, and I know everybody's schedule gets full, and you're, you're doing your shopping and all those other things, but even in the midst of that busyness, just want to just encourage you just to kind of stay up with a lot of things going on here in the life of the fellowship, uh, uh, some special Christmas services coming up, uh, Christmas musical next Sunday night, uh, candlelight service two weeks from tonight, uh, we've got uh, some spe- a special schedule on Christmas Day, the 25th, and New Year's Day, both those on Sunday this year, so just encourage you to stay up with that. Also, uh, first Wednesday night of every month, we gather together for prayer, uh, our Fresh Encounter prayer service, uh, a great time just to be together with folks from across uh, services uh, to, to seek God's face together, and so I encourage you to be a part of that. They've got to check out the menu, I think it's in your uh, worship folder there, kind of a, a gourmet breakfast thing going uh, this Wednesday night. For three bucks, you can't beat that, so encourage you to, to be a part of that if you if you. Uh, uh, at all kin. Second Samuel, the book of Second Samuel we're going to be looking at uh, today. We're going to begin in chapter 13, look at several sections of that together. But as we think about that, just think about some of the terminology we use along the way. Uh, maybe you've heard uh, somebody say it was a heartbreaking loss. Uh, kind of talk about a team maybe that, that lost a game in the last minute with a, a bucket or a missed field goal or a late touchdown or whatever. It's a heartbreaking loss. Sometimes we, we, we talk about somebody's uh, heart being broken. They, they had their, uh, their heart set on, on this house and the contract fell through or this, this dream or this goal or whatever and it just it didn't, didn't happen and it just, it just, it just kind of broke, broke their heart. Uh, maybe you think about uh, your heart was broken when your first little boyfriend or girlfriend in school uh, uh, didn't check uh, yes, check no, or whatever it might be, and, and you, you experienced uh, some early heartbreak along the way. We experience a broken heart in a wide variety of ways. Uh, our heart gets broken. But my guess is, and my experience is, uh, that when push comes to shove, there's perhaps no heartbreak that is as painful as relational heartbreak. No heartbreak is painful as extending love and having that love rejected or taken for granted or ignored. Extending trust and having that trust betrayed and broken. There are a lot of ways to get our heart broken in a sin-scarred world, but none perhaps as painful as a relational heartbreak. And this time of the year just heightens that, doesn't it? With all that we have kind of in our cultural expectation of what relationships are supposed to be, particularly during the holidays, to have relational heartbreak just seems heavier and heightened this time of the year. And what I know is that there's going to be a lot of folks walking in and out of the doors of this campus this morning who are in the midst of some relational heartbreak. Some has been going on for a long time. Some's very fresh and very raw. What I also know is that if you're not in the midst of a relational heartbreak, if you stick around long enough, you probably will be at some point along the way. The question really is, how are we going to deal with that? And that's the last lesson I want us to learn in this series of lessons from David's life. That God uses even a broken heart in us to develop a heart like his. 
For you see, God knows about a broken heart, doesn't he? He knows what it is to extend love and have that love rejected and ignored. He knows what it is to to invest in a relationship. And as Jesus experienced, to see betrayal from one of those closest to you. God knows about a broken heart. And he knows how to take a broken heart and mold it into a heart like his. So I want us to, to see from David's life, maybe how we can deal with a broken heart and let God do his full work in the midst of that brokenness. And in order to do that, it'll help us to understand a little bit of David's journey, calling it a downward spiral, a relational downward spiral. And I'm, I'm going to kind of cover a lot of ground, and I'm not going to be able to read it all. I'm going to trust that uh, as you want more, you'll go deeper. But we're going to start in Second Samuel. This is uh, David, an older king now. Uh, and uh, the grown children and uh, all the, the challenges of interactions that go with that. And Second Samuel 13 tells a, a, a troubling story, uh, a troubling story of uh, Ammon, one of David's sons, and Tamar, one of his daughters. Am, Ammon, and uh, just to, to try to, to put it uh, lightly, uh, lusted after his sister, so much so that he eventually conceived a a scheme in order to attack her and he did and he followed through and in doing so David had an opportunity to respond and what you see in David is a failure to confront a failure to confront Ammon has has set up and assaulted his sister and then afterwards instead of her being an object of his love she becomes an object of his scorn and his hate and in fact is what you find if you you look in second samuel 13 down to verse 17 you find him doing what humans often do and that is an attempt to dehumanize after he had had his way with her he called the young man who served him and said put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. You see, one of the things that we'll do sometimes in, in, in sinning against another or hurting another is we'll, we'll dehumanize them. It's, it's part of our mechanism for rationalizing and justifying our actions toward another. If you look over the course of history, what you'll find very often if there's an oppressive regime, what you'll find long before they, they start taking lives, very often they, they dehumanize those people. They'll, they'll call that segment of people certain names along the way to to dehumanize them in such a way that it it becomes a little more palatable to to sin against them, to destroy them along the way. And and Ammon just models that for us, this this woman that he he so longed for once he had used her. Now now she was no longer this, this precious thing to be cherished and pursued, but she was that woman, that woman to be rejected and tossed out and bolt the door after her. And with all of this going on, what we find is that David is aware, but he doesn't do anything. We see David's inaction. If you follow the narrative down to verse 21, the scripture records for us, when King David heard all of these things, he was very angry. 
And then you're left wanting more there, right? Yeah, good. You're angry. So what? What are you going to do, David? What are you going to do to confront this sin? What are you going to do to, to, to hold this boy accountable? David, how are you going to act? And yet David, in the, in the midst of whatever was going on in his life, chose not to act. David's inaction opened the way for further brokenness and sin because you see one of the relation principles is simply this when sin is not dealt with directly directly and redemptively it will lead to more sin and see sometimes we convince ourselves if i just if i just ignore it it'll go away if we just don't make too much of it, it it'll be okay. And yet, and yet, while there are certainly those things in our life that are small things and love covers a multitude of sins and we just move on and you do that in relationships, there are those things that need to be dealt with. There are those things that, that, that need to be brought to the surface and to seek to just move on and not deal with them directly and redemptively doesn't solve the problem. It actually increases the problem. Sin unaddressed leads to more sin. And that's exactly what happened within David's family. So if you would continue to follow the narrative there, you would find uh, within a couple years, two years later, David had has not acted, verse 23. Absalom, one of his other sons, decides to act. And Absalom acts and he, he sets up a situation where he ends up murdering Ammon for his actions against Tamar. David didn't act. He didn't act directly. He didn't act redemptively. That didn't make the problem go away. In fact, it increased the problem. And so Absalom steps into that vacuum and sin begins to multiply. And that is exactly what happens when we don't deal with things directly and redemptively. And so Absalom, having killed his brother, flees. He flees Jerusalem. He's, he's gone. And you follow the narrative into the next chapter and you, you find kind of a second part of the spiral. And that is there's a reuniting without reconciliation. There's a reuniting, but that reuniting is without reconciliation. Again, we won't take time to read all of this, but you can follow the narrative there in chapter 14. But, uh, but Joab, a, a military commander of David, he, he orchestrates kind of events and has this woman kind of be his proxy who tells the king a story and uh, kind of uh, sets him up to say, why haven't you invited Absalom back? Why won't you let him come back into the city? And, and finally, David kind of relents. And, and he agrees. He agrees to let Absalom come back into the city. But verse 24 tells us that while Absalom is in the city, he's not going to be in the king's presence. He's not going to be in David's presence. Verse 24, uh, the king said, let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come into the king's presence. Verse 28, so Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. So, so David thinks, well, all right, I'll relent to the extent that he can come back into the city, but never into my presence. Well, what David was doing, what so many of us tend to do sometimes when there's a relational breakdown, and that is address it with a Band-Aid. But sometimes a relational breakdown requires more than a Band-Aid, Right? 
I mean, listen, if it's a boo-boo, pull out the Band-Aid, all right? But if it's a major break, if it's a major disease, a Band-Aid's not going to fix it. You know, I mean, even if it's got Mickey Mouse on it or something, I mean, it's not going to fix it, right? And there are times when we try to fix what requires major surgery relationally with a Band-Aid. This wasn't going to be addressed by just letting Absalom come back into the city. Now, there's a major relational breach here. And if that wasn't addressed, remember the principle, if it's not addressed directly and redemptively, it will eventually lead to more sin. And that's what you're going to see playing out here in the next few moments. So, so what begins to happen? Absalom isn't allowed into the king's presence. And so he, he figures out a way. He figures out a way. He gets Joab's attention with the fire. He does all these things. But then he begins to set himself up. He sets himself up systematically to begin to win the hearts of the people. And you can read about it there in Second Samuel. And as he's winning the hearts of the people, he's also beginning to build a coalition. A coalition that will help him to ultimately rebel against his father. And as the spiral continues, there comes that point when Absalom has secured enough hearts planted enough seeds, built enough for relational cred, if you will, uh, that he leads a rebellion. And that rebellion surfaces there into chapter 15, and David is forced to flee. So this, this sin, this original sin that wasn't dealt with directly and redemptively, this, this attempt at band-aiding instead of dealing with what needed to be dealt with continues just to, to build and build. And so Absalom now leads a full-scale rebellion to become the king. He is going to, seeking really to kill his father and take over the kingdom. And so David finds himself in full-on retreat. Now, the relational principle is simply this. Unresolved relational issues have a way of resurfacing. They have a way of resurfacing. They may resurface in a different way and at a different time, but they will resurface. If there's major things that aren't dealt with, covering them up and just saying, let's just get along, let's just have turkey together or whatever it is, and let's just act like nothing's wrong, it doesn't help. The Band-Aid's not going to solve the problem. It may not show up at the Thanksgiving dinner, but it's going to show up somewhere along the way. Relational issues that aren't dealt with resurface. They resurface in different ways at different times, oftentimes uglier than they were before. And that's what's happening here. Absalom is leading now this full-scale rebellion. David and a few who are with him take off. I mean, they get what minimal things they can, and they are fleeing the city because they are literally going to be hunted down. And that kind of gives us the fourth step in this downward spiral. As David is leaving, the relational heartbreak begins to compound. What he begins to experience is not only the rebellion and rejection and betrayal of his son, but he begins to experience betrayal and scorn from others as well. And we'll just give you a couple of examples. The first one is by a guy by the name of Ahithophel. And there should be, a, there he is, a PH in there, Ahithophel. Ahithophel is this trusted counselor of David. I mean, this is the one who has been by David's side. His counsel was so revered that they just basically think, when you hear from Ohithophel, you've heard from God. 
And so, though so he is this trusted, longtime counselor of David. And as you read in 15 and on, what you find is that, is that at this moment of great crisis, instead of Ahithophel staying by David's side, he abandons David and links up with Absalom. And what I know is that there are some of you that 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 has been your experience as well. There is somebody that has been a trusted person by your side. You, you shared so much, you perhaps opened your heart and life to them. And in a moment, they, they betrayed. They betrayed that trust. They betrayed that love. And David is now experiencing not only all that he's experiencing through Absalom, but he's experiencing this deep wound of betrayal, this deep wound of betrayal from this trusted counselor. And as if that is all not enough, as he's fleeing for his life, having experienced betrayal and denial of love and perhaps playing in his mind all the things he wished he had done differently, then he encounters on the roadway Shemai or Shemi. And a guy who perhaps never thought much of David but didn't give voice to it until this moment. And as you, as you look, at the, look at the narrative there into, into chapter 16, verse 5, you, you find that as David and them are, are fleeing, when King David comes, uh, there came this man, Shammai, and he, he comes and he curses continually, verse 6, and he threw stones at David. And all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand, on his left. And he's, he's cursing him and calling him a, a worthless man. And, and basically telling him, hey, you get what you deserve. And what you, what you understand, what you see modeled in that is what some of you perhaps have experienced is that there will be people who will kick you when you're down. There will be people who, if they don't sing your praises when things are going smooth, they'll at least smile to your face, right? But, but the moment you're down, you experience a different side of them. And here is this person who maybe he smiled, maybe he nodded and acknowledged the king. But when this moment came, when David most needed a friend, what he experienced from him was cursing. What he experienced in him was, was the throwing of stone and kicking of dirt and all of these things. There will be people who will break your heart. Because when you need them the most, they don't lift you up. They kick you. And we perhaps could go on and on and on. But you see the spiral. You see the spiral in David's life. And so he finds himself at this point on the run, not knowing if he's even going to survive the night. He's experienced all of this relational heartbreak beginning with his son and extending to a trusted counselor and others along the way. And with a broken heart, he has to go on. And that's where I want us to focus the rest of our time. Because your journey to where you are in brokenness may be different from David's. But the pathway out will be similar. I think we can see in this narrative out of David's life some tools for dealing with a broken heart. And I hope there will be tools that maybe will encourage some of you today. And the first and perhaps the foundational tool of all that we see David modeling for us is a trust. Trust in God's wisdom, God's power, and God's love. Back in chapter 15, David again, he's on the run. 
And as he's on the run, some of those who love him and care about him want to bring the ark. They want to bring the ark of the covenant, this symbol of God's power and God's presence. Verse 24, let's just pick it up right there. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. Now notice this expression. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. David out of his brokenness, is not going to carry the ark of God like a good luck charm. He's not going to take that to say, I'll have this so God will be on my side. God said, the ark, David said, the ark stays in Jerusalem. And I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to try to use God right now. I'm going to trust God. If he brings me back, then I'm going to trust him. If he never brings me back, I'm still going to trust him. In the midst of a relational heartbreak, in the midst of that pain, a foundation to beginning to deal with it is to say, God, I trust you. I don't understand it. I don't deny the pain. I don't deny the hurt. I don't deny the lack of trust and everything else is going on inside me right now, but God, I trust. I trust your love. I trust your wisdom. I trust your power. God, I trust that you're at work even in the midst of this mess. And I don't know where today finds you, but I know it finds some of you with a broken heart. And the way out the way to get through what you're going through begins by saying, God, I don't fully understand it. And God, I don't deny the pain. I'm not going to minimize that or spiritualize that. But God, I trust you. I trust you whether I get to come back, whether I, I trust you whether the relationship is, is healed tomorrow or whether it's not. I trust you and so maybe just the question for some of us to deal with this morning is to say when I don't understand when I don't understand God's ways when I don't understand why he allowed this betrayal when I don't understand why he allowed this rejection of love why I don't understand the, the scorn that I'm experiencing when I don't understand all of these things God I'll trust you when you don't understand God's ways will we trust him. That becomes the platform upon which David can get through what he's going to have to go through. And as an expression of that trust, David goes to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. And so as you continue to follow this journey, remember, this is, this is just all kind of reeling in real time. I mean, David, David is fleeing for his life. He acknowledges his trust in God, and then, then he cries out. He, he cries out in prayer. Skip down to verse 30. But David went up to the ascent, to the Mount of Olives. Isn't that interesting? 
that he goes to the Mount of Olives where Jesus would find himself in prayer, weeping as he went, barefoot and with head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. The pain is very, very real. And it was told to David, Ohithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom, the betrayal. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ohithophel into foolishness. He's, he's crying out, God, I, I have no hope. I mean, here is this deepest of betrayals from my son and from this most trusted of counselors. So God, I cry out to you. I cry out to you to do what I cannot do. I cry out to you to intervene. So here, here's what happens to us sometimes in our pain. Sometimes in our pain, we, we get discouraged. We get disoriented. Sometimes in our, in our broken heart, we don't have the, the strength or the energy. Sometimes when all of that's happening so fast, we, we have so many things going on in our brain, so many signals, so many impulses firing off, so much information that we're trying to process. That Sometimes we, we lose that sense of, of God. We, we, we sense that maybe God's not there. He doesn't care. He's not involved. We, we, we don't invest that time being in his presence. And, and one of the ways to heal a broken heart, one of the ways to get through what you're going through is in the midst of pain, in the midst of turmoil, don't neglect, don't neglect staying in God's presence and seeking his face. I'll tell you the truth, there are so many times when we feel like worshiping with God's people the least that we need it the most. There are times when We can convince ourselves, I'm too tired, I'm too hurt, I'm too broken. It's not going to make a difference. And in those moments, I just have to discipline myself to show up. To show up and say, God, I don't feel like it. Honestly, God, I don't even think it's going to make any difference but I'm going to keep showing up in your presence. There are times when you feel like praying the least that you need prayer the most. There are times when you think, if I have to open up the pages of the Bible, and it just, it's not going to say anything. It's just a blur. It's just words. I read it, and my mind is so, so confused. I can't even remember what I read two minutes ago. But you have to stay. You have to stay and let God's Spirit and God's Word do its work in you. In the midst of pain and turmoil, there is a tendency to to drift away from those things because of our pain, because of our disorientation. What I'm just going to encourage you is to do what David did in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the turmoil. When you feel it like doing it the least, stay in God's presence. Seek his face. You know, I, say, I don't even know what to pray for. Don't worry about that. Seek his face. Just seek his face. Don't, don't, you don't even have to think what specifically you need from his hand. That'll come. Seek his face. Go to God in prayer. You reinforce that platform of trust. God, I don't feel it, but I trust in your love, your power, your wisdom. 
And then another thing that David models so well for us here is that he was able to receive support from friends. He was able to receive support from friends. Now, you may feel like, wait a minute, if you just experienced relational pain, if you just experienced uh, a rejection of love, you experienced betrayal and scorn, the last thing you want to do is open yourself up relationally, right? The last thing that you want to do is let somebody get close, but it is a thing that you most need. God will deliver grace to you through other people. And I'm just going to tell you, it may happen for you just like it happened for David. that sometimes that support comes from the most unexpected sources. It comes from some of the most unexpected sources. So as you look at this this journey that he's on in chapter 15, he's fleeing Jerusalem. And there's, there's, there's a guy there by the name of it, Ittai, or Ittai, Ittai, the Gittite. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, why? Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner, and also an exile for your, from your home. You came only yesterday. Shall I today make you wander about with us since I go and I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you. And may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ite answered. He answered the king, as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. Whoa, where did this guy come from, right? I mean, he just showed up in town yesterday. He doesn't have skin in this game, right? I mean, this isn't his fight. He's a foreigner. And yet, when his closest counselor had betrayed him, when his son rebelled against him, God sends help from an unexpected source. From somebody he didn't see coming. Somebody who you would have never put a list together and say, let's reach out to Ite." Some of us miss God's provision because it comes from an unexpected source. It comes from somebody we've never known before. It comes from somebody that we weren't that close to before. But if you're not open, if you're not open to God delivering His grace through people, you may miss His provision. It came to David, and it's going to come into some of your lives through an unexpected source. And what Ite modeled for us was one of the expressions of support that we see in David's life. And that is just the power of presence. The power of presence. Ite didn't have a magic wand. He didn't come with all the answers. But what he came with is to say, David, I'm there. I am there with you. I don't know if this is going to end in life or this is going to end in death, but David, this is what I know. I am going to be there. Can I just tell you what I experienced when I'm sure some of you experienced? Sometimes we hesitate. We hesitate to step in where there's pain. We hesitate to, to reach out when there's brokenness because we don't know what to say, right? I mean, am I the only one? Okay, just checking, just checking, right? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. 
I don't have an answer to the question they're going to ask. I don't have the silver bullet. I don't have the magic wand. And because of all those fears and all the inadequacies we feel, we don't show up. When what God is just asking you to do is to show up. Don't think that you've got to have all the answers. Just show up. There is incredible power just in the presence of another. You may feel woefully inadequate and unqualified. But you can show up. And when you show up, you deliver God's grace by your presence. Sometimes the encouragement is just showing up. The power of presence. But sometimes it comes in the form of information and wise counsel. Information and wise counsel. Among those who wanted to travel uh, with David, but he, he sent them back, was, uh, was a guy by the name of Hushai, and Hushai the archite. He comes and he wants to go, and, and, and David says, no, 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 no. He said, you would serve me better being in Jerusalem. And you can read the, the narrative there in the, those next few verses, beginning in verse 32, where they, they kind of work out this system. Basically, he's a, he's a spy, if you will. And so he can, he, he can put certain information into the ear of Absalom, but he can give information and wise counsel to David. And if you would read the whole narrative, you, you would actually find that Hushai ends up, ends up being a rescuer, a saver of David's life because of the information that he's able to pass along because of the counsel that he's able to give. Now, this is what I want you to understand. When your heart is broken, when you are reeling, oh, you get disoriented. You, you have so much information and so much pain and so much firing off in your life that very often you're not in the best position to make the best decisions. And in those moments, you need God to deliver to you information and wise counsel. And his delivery system of choice is very often other people. And so God may bring somebody into your life in the midst of your brokenness who knows things you don't know. Who sees things with a perspective that you can't see because you're in the middle of the whirlwind. And, and if you're not open to that, if you're not open to receiving information and wise counsel from somebody outside of yourself, you're going to miss an avenue and a delivery system of God's grace. God allows us to experience His grace through the information and wise counsel of other people. And again, it may come from an unexpected source along the way. There's some other expressions of support, and that is just some practical physical needs some practical physical needs and as they're continuing on the run I mean they have just got out of town and got out of town with whatever they could get and probably a lot of that had to do with weapons that they thought they might need to defend their life with they didn't exactly have a chance to plan for this vacation right it's not like they've been packing for several weeks and making trips to the grocery store in anticipation of this I mean they are they are on the run and in chapter 17 you find a, a long list of a group of people who come alongside and they meet just some very practical needs. Verse 28, 
brought beds and basins and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds and sheep and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. For they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Sometimes in your brokenness, you you can't even think about the basic physical needs. And even if you think about it, you, you hardly feel equipped to do some of those things. And sometimes support comes with, let me cook a meal for you. Let me handle the yard work for you. Let me organize this for you. Let me drive here for you. Let me, let me organize, do this for you. Let me, let me do this for you. Maybe let me, let me provide some financial resources for you. And I got to tell you, I love this church family for so many reasons. But this is one of the major ones. I mean, I cannot tell you the number of times that I have seen a group or a Sunday school class or whatever just rally around people. Rally around people in crisis and was just meeting some practical, physical needs. And I'm just always blown away because I'm thinking, wow, I would have never thought to do that. But that is so great. That is so great. And I can even could tell you personal stories of people who have reached out to me in crisis and met practical, physical needs I'd have never thought of, but it meant so much. It was a delivery system of God's grace and strength and encouragement. Sometimes that support is just practical, physical needs. Sometimes it's just bringing a casserole, right? (laughs) Right? But now I'm going to give you one more. And I'm just be honest with you, this isn't as pleasant as a casserole. But it is absolutely an expression of God's grace and a much needed support. And that is confrontation. And that is confrontation. When you get to chapter 19, the battle has ensued. And while David, so torn between king and father, he wants the rebellion obviously squashed, but he doesn't want his son harmed. And yet they know that if Absalom lives, the rebellion is going to continue to live. And so Absalom is, is killed in the battle. And when you come to, to that section of Scripture, you, you, you come and you find in verse 4 that incredible wailing cry of David as he finds out about Absalom's death. Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And as he's crying out, here all these people returning from the battle. These people who have run with David. These people who have laid their lives on the line for David. And instead of him giving them appreciation, what they're, what they're seeing is him crying. Crying out in, in mourning for his son. And while they understand that, it, it feels like a rejection of everything that they have risked. And everything that they have done for him. And in the midst of that, Joab his military commander steps in with a much needed word of correction and confrontation. Verse 5, then Joab came into the house to the king and said, you have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive, 
and all of us were dead today. Then you would be pleased. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Whoa. Joab, I mean, hey, can you cut me a little slack here, right? My heart is breaking. I mean, don't you realize what I have been through? Treat me with kid gloves here. Sometimes you need a casserole. Sometimes you need a kick in the butt, right? Sometimes you need words of comfort. Sometimes you need somebody that loves you enough to confront you to speak a hard truth into the midst of your pain, into the midst of your turmoil. Sometimes the most loving thing doesn't feel most loving at first. And yet what David most needed at that moment was not another casserole. He needed somebody to confront him. David, in your pain, David, in your brokenness, David, in your disorientation, you're not thinking clearly. You are not acting in the way that you need to act. This is what you must do. Sometimes God sends somebody into our lives to confront us, even in our pain and our brokenness. It's not a sign of rejection. It's a sign of his love. And out of that comes the fourth thing I want you to see. If you're going to get through what you're going through, If you're going to begin the pathway toward healing from a broken heart, you have to move forward with determination. You have to move forward with determination. We won't read all of those verses, but I want you to see the one right after the confrontation, verse 8. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And the people were all told, behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. And he goes on, if you read the rest of the narrative, you find he returns to Jerusalem and he does those things that are hard. He sets some things right and makes some tough decisions and and does some things that a king must do in that situation. And what David models for us is the truth that all of us need to hear, even in the midst of our brokenness, that sometimes, sometimes you have to do what you don't feel like doing. Sometimes you have to move forward with determination. Yes, your heart is broken. Yes, you have been betrayed. Yes, there are those who have scorned you. Yes, there are people who have kicked you when you were down. Yes, we could all understand if you just curled up in the fetal position and had a pity party. But there comes that point where you've got to do what you need to do even when you don't feel like doing it. And you say, Jeff... You don't understand. You don't understand. I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. I don't have, that's why I don't feel like doing it. That's why I haven't done it. I can't do it. And what I'm going to tell you is you can't do it on your own but you can do it in his strength. For many of us who have walked through crisis, for many of us who have journeyed through brokenness, we have found encouragement in God's word. 
Isaiah 40 being one of those wonderful passages. He, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, you don't feel like doing it. I get it. You don't feel like you have the capacity to do it. I understand. You don't want to throw off those blankets and get out of that bed because you just want to curl up and you want to stay there and make the world go away. I understand. But there are those moments when you got to do what you don't feel like doing, and that's when you need God's strength. That's when you need to cry out to Him to help you to walk, to stand. To run. That's when you'll experience when your strength is finished that He lifts you up on wings like eagles. You see, what I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus Christ is a friend to the brokenhearted. Now, when your heart's breaking, you don't feel like you have a friend, right? But Jesus Christ is a friend to the brokenhearted. I love the invitation in Matthew 11. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, Jesus Christ is a friend of the brokenhearted because God the Father and Christ the Son know brokenheartedness. As we said in the beginning, they know. God the Father knows what it is to, to create men and women, to create them, to love, love them, and to have them love in return, and to put them in the perfect environment, and to have them reject that love and rebel against that love. God the Father knows what it is to, to continually reach out in love and have his children, instead of responding to that love, seek their fulfillment and their love and their joy in, in lesser things, and to trade in affection for God and take that affection and set it on lesser things. God knows the rejection of love. Jesus Christ came. He came to restore a broken relationship. He came not to put a band-aid on a broken relationship, but to do radical major surgery, to call sin, sin to deal with it directly and redemptively on the cross. Jesus knew what it was to invest his life in a core group of men and when he needed them the most to see them scatter. He knew what it was to invest in a man and know that that man was going to betray him, betray him for a sack full of coins. Jesus knows brokenheartedness. And he's a friend to the brokenhearted. And I want to just say to you today that God has gone to great extents to heal the relational rift that is real between a holy God and a sinful man. And our hope and prayer for you is that you would not leave this room without knowing a healing of that relationship, a restoration of that relationship that only comes when you deal directly with sin. Call sin, sin. Call it what God calls it. Acknowledge your rebellion against him and place your faith and trust not in your resolution to do better but in the finished work of Jesus Christ with the life he lived, the death he died, the resurrection and the ascension. 
to place your trust in him to not only be the forgiver of your sin, but the rightful leader and Lord of your life. And as that takes place, that relationship is restored, and God can give you the strength to deal with a broken heart in a sin-scarred world. I urge you today to be reconciled to him. And I want to encourage you with two truths in the midst of brokenheartedness. Two great truths, you know them, but let's remind ourselves of them. The first is that God is with me. When my heart is broken, when relationships have fractured, when I feel isolated and alone in those moments to remind myself, God is with me. I mean, after all, isn't that what Christmas tells us? Isn't that why we have lights and trees and sing these songs and everything else, that he is with me? Isn't that the promise of Jesus coming as the babe in the manger? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You may not feel it. You may not sense it. But to come back to that truth and say, God, I don't feel it today. I don't even, it just, it doesn't seem like you're with me. But God, by faith, I acknowledge and I claim it and I just hold on to it. You are with me. God is with me and God is for me. God is for me. Yes, someone has rejected me. Yes, someone has rebelled against me. Yes, someone has betrayed me along the way. Yes, there are people who are not for me. There are people who are against me. But as we saw in our study of Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yes, there can be an Absalom against you. Yes, there can be a trusted counselor who will betray you. But God is for you. And if God is for you, he will get you through whatever you are going through. Regardless of the circumstances, you can find, even in the midst of a broken heart, rest for your soul. And so I take you to a song that has ministered to so many in their brokenness. It is well with my soul. And some of you know the backstory, although as you dig a little deeper, there's even more to the backstory of Horatio Spafford, the writer of those lyrics. Successful attorney. He and his family were prospering in so many ways. They invested in heavily in riverfront real estate just prior to the great Chicago fire. The fire devastated them financially. In the midst of all that, they had also experienced the death of a son. And so here's this family broken, uh, broken with financial loss, broken with relational loss, and yet trusting in God. He was a big supporter of the evangelist D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey, his song leader. And Moody and Sankey were in, getting ready to go to England for a campaign crusade. Hmm. Spafford thought it would be good for his wife and family, for all of them, just to be away for a while, and so they were going to go in support of the campaign. A last-minute business crisis arose, so Spafford sent his wife and daughters on the ship, and this is perhaps where you know the story. Their ship was struck by another as they crossed the Atlantic. And the record is that 
that ship went down in about 12 seconds, or 12 minutes, excuse me, 12 minutes. Very few survivors. The only one that survived was of his family. It was not his four daughters, but his wife alone. And she was rescued and made her way to England, was able to cable him with two words, saved alone, saved alone. And as the story is recounted, Spafford boarded the next ship that he could to get to his grieving wife. And in the midst of everything that had happened, the loss of a son and uh, financial devastation and fire and, and now the loss of daughters and all of this, as he's crossing and as the story is told, comes to that point where that section of the ocean where that ship would have gone down. And these words arose. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I can't promise you that your heart will never be broken. The fact is, I can probably promise you the exact opposite. But what I can promise you, what a king in Jerusalem experienced, what an attorney from Chicago experienced, is what you can experience. When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever your lot, he can teach you to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father, how we praise you and thank you that you are a friend to the brokenhearted. And Lord, even in this room right here, right now, there are folks that are struggling, struggling with a, a brokenness, a broken heart. And maybe that's relational, maybe it's something else. But Lord, I just, I thank you that you are the God who is with us and you're the God who is for us. And, and Lord, I would just ask right now, would you just, would you just graciously speak into our lives? And Father, some of us, some of us need words of comfort and encouragement. Maybe some of us need a word of confrontation today. But Father, I just, just ask, Lord, just in these last few moments that we have in this room together, would you, would you just speak? Speak into our lives. And I'm just going to ask you right now just to sit before the Lord, to be in his presence, and to seek his face. And as you do that, I'm going to refer you to the making personal, making it personal section in your note-taking guide. And there's the four questions there. I just invite you to scan those very quickly and let the Lord maybe just prompt you to one you need to begin with. And it may be that today you just need to just, just sit before him and, and just in response to God, just begin to write. Write a sentence, a phrase, a paragraph, just something just to say, God, where? Where in my life do I most need to be open to what you're wanting to do? Where do I most need to trust in your wisdom, your power, and your love? God, what is it going to look like for me to more intentionally seek your face and stay in your presence in this season of my life? God, are you sending me help from an unexpected source? Am I open to that? 
Or maybe, God, you're prompting me to be that support in the life of another today. Has he given you a name? Has he given you an action? Or maybe today you just walked in and quite honestly you don't feel like doing what you know you need to do. And today you just need to say, God, help me. Help me to move forward with determination, with the strength that only you supply. As you just continue to sit before the Lord, I just remind you of our connection.